Hello and welcome to the second episode of The Homeroom. My name is Chris and surprisingly they've allowed me to return for the second show. So clearly I wasn't controversial enough last time. Um, thanks to everyone who listened to episode one. We've had more than 8,000 listens. However, how many of them were my mum is still being confirmed. Um, if you didn't hear episode one, you can still listen to it on iTunes or soundcloud.com forward slash the homeroom. The idea behind the show is to bring together a mix of guests from inside and outside the game that will give you anecdote and insight, which you won't find anywhere else. So media trained answers are definitely banned here. Talking of guests, we tried to attract a stellar lineup to follow episode one. However, BT Sport are signing all the good names. So today I'm joined by Daniel Sanderson, who is the editor of Halcyon magazine and co-editor of Stand Against Modern Football. In his own words, Dan enjoys looking at shoes he can't afford, Eastern European lager and Ponzi French films from the 1960s. To my left is Tony Professor, sorry, Professor Tony Collins, who is a director at the International Centre for Sports History and Culture at De Montfort University in Leicester. Tony's research focuses on questions of social class and how this is reflected in the uses of sport and he has authored books such as Sport and Capitalist Society. If you think that sounds a bit dry, I should say that Tony's also written Mud, Sweat and Beers, which is a history of sport and alcohol, um, surely a must read for, for everyone in this room and I'm sure outside as well. And last but not least, we have David Johnson, an ex-professional footballer who played for Manchester United, Bury, Ipswich Town, Nottingham Forest, Sheffield Wednesday, Burnley, Sheffield United, and lastly, Hucknall Town, who I believe have no connection with a ginger dreadlock singer. That, 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 that's true. Great. David, a.k.a. Jono, is now a scout for Chelsea Football Club, and um, I believe he's quite an honest and outspoken person, so hopefully no one from Stamford Bridge is listening today. In this show, we're going to be discussing romance versus reality in the modern game. So, modern football is a term we're hearing more and more of, particularly in a negative sense. So, I'm keen to hear how each of you would define it. Okay, I'll go first. Um, modern football is pretty much self-defined isn't it it's where it's where the games are it's where 150 years of history i think we're up to has, has taken it to um people use it as a, as a stick to beat football with uh, against modern football that's kind of a, a term which is um used to encapsulate anything anything about the game you know if, if someone's someone's got a problem with a player getting paid too much or some a player on twitter is misbehaving then they assume that's against modern football it may not affect them directly but they attribute a footballer who has got opinions they don't like as modern football so it's it's different to each person it's certainly different to each set of fans a manchester city fans idea of against modern football will be a different from an fc united fans idea of against modern football yeah jonna uh modern day football for me is show business you know i think i came through the last bit of football where match of the day was the only time fans got to see their players and then obviously Sky Football came along and every year it just got bigger and bigger and you know when I was 18 
the only show that was probably on four or five times a week was Coronation Street, EastEnders. Now, football's overtaken that, and football can be on seven times a week, and then the reruns. So now it's so global that it's on every day, and the only time when I started, you might see a professional footballer on a Saturday, and they were your pin-up heroes, and then you had the Panini stickers. And now, they're so accessible in media, internet, everything. And it's just show business. It's just so glamorous now that that being a rock star, everyone to be a rock star, everyone wants to be a footballer nowadays. Tony, um, football. Well, I, I kind of disagree because, well, to 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 use the rock star thing, I, to some extent, to, I think it's a question of meet the new football, same as the old football. Because I think what people tend to forget is that it's always been a commercial business ever since it went professional in the 1880s. The football league was formed. It's always been about entertainment, about commercialism, um, even, as, as John was just, just saying, even to some extent about showbiz, about celebrity. Obviously, the thing that's changed now is that instead of the game being run by, by millionaires, it's now being run by billionaires. Well, that's the bit what I was just about to say. That yeah. Football's never changed in 150 years. It's 11 v 11, there's one ball, there's a referee. It's the people inside football that have changed. Football is always going to be 11 v 11. You have to score to win a goal, you know, to win a game. Now it's these owners, like you said, it's gone from millionaires to billionaires. That's where football's changed. But the actual game itself, yes, there's been a back pass rule. Yes, there's been little tweaks to it. Yeah. But football's changed from the owners being billionaires and to be celebrities. Because being an owner of a football club is just being an ego thing nowadays. They all want to be in front of the camera instead of being behind the camera. And they just show their wealth. Having that £150 million yacht, they'll have that. But owning a football club takes them to that next level of, I've got £150 million yacht, but I also own Chelsea Football Club, or also own yeah. so-and-so. And I think that's the bit that's changed. But the game itself hasn't. I think, I think that's probably true. Um, ben Watson scoring the other day touches on the romance thing which is in the title of the podcast that could have easily affected those fans if it was Natal Lofthouse or if it was Ron Yates whoever whoever that's the same what it, what it means to those fans is the same the only thing that perhaps what David is touching on there has changed is that this person who owns a £150 million yacht means the people who want to experience Ben Watson Natal Lofthouse scoring those goals perhaps can't anymore one of the things I see a lot of people say is you know, modern football is the Premier League era and the, the evolution of Sky Sports, as, as you mentioned there, Jono, but as you, as you said, Tony, that's, that's not the case. Well, yeah, because I think, um, in a sense, it's a generational thing as well, because I think as, as you grow up as a football fan or any sports fan, you tend to look back with rosy spectacles about when, you, when you're younger, because so, I grew up in the, watching football in the 70s. So, to me, the great teams of the 70s are the benchmark, and you think, well, it's not really as good as, good as what it was. And I think if you look at... Um, but if you go back to the 1960s, and you think there's George Best, the swing in London, there's the end of the maximum wage, um, the, people are asking the same question about football in the 60s as what we're asking today. Has the romance gone? Is it all about money? Because now, you know, you had Johnny Haynes, the first £100-a-week footballer, George Best was a celebrity. He'd taken football out of the, in a sense, out out of football and into the mainstream media. And I think, as I say, I think a lot of it is to do with, you know, 
as a generation, as we get older, you tend to think, mm, it's not quite as good or it's changed too much. And I think that has a big impact on the way people view the sport as well. So the, the t- so 10-year-olds in 30 years' time will be doing these what a lot of people... Days. Yeah, these are the good old days yeah. now. Yeah. <laughs> That's an, I mean, what, how, how does that... You're probably the youngest round the table, <clears throat> Dan. What, how yeah. does that make you feel? I was, I've only grown up with modern football, which is something that people often say to me. Modern football, as others say, perhaps it's been going since the 60s, but I've only experienced two years of not the Premier League, perhaps. Um, but it is, it's changing, and it's changing so quickly. And it's, it's week by week, if you go to the ground, you see things changing. Um, I'm of the opinion that a lot of them aren't for the better, because there's, there's lads I know who have been going for the whole of modern football since, it, since Sky came in, and they could still go, but they can't anymore. So I don't think that happened when George Best was on the television and stuff. I think the same lads could go every week. The, people, yeah. the same people wearing yeah, no, the I agree. Yeah, My yeah. friends are like that. I've got a lot of friends through kids at school. And they're mad Forest fans. And they went Champions League, they went home and away. And they're in their late 40s now. And through Forest being poor for the last couple of years, it's just got to a stage where it's so expensive to take their kids and everyone else, you know, the friends, and it was more of a hub for the community. And it's so expensive now that they're not going, that core of seeing the good times and bad times. And now this super modern, uh, you know, it's grown so big that they're getting priced out of going, you know, and 30 pounds to watch a category A game, you know, your local derby, and to take your son is ridiculous. Um, and then all of a sudden, the Germans announce what they, their season ticket prices, and it's the biggest kick in the, you know, the gonads you could get for, you know, the Premier League and the, how the English setup is. And it is wrong, you know. The be all and end all is that if fans didn't turn up, there'd be no football club. So they've got to go back to their fans, the local people, get them kids back in, get the parents back in and have to sacrifice something. And the thing they have to sacrifice is the players' salaries to help fund that. And then if you're paying an average price to go and watch a team, when I played, there's nothing better than playing in front of a full ground. But then you go to certain places, and because only 10,000 can afford to go, and it's half empty, there's no atmosphere. And I think the sooner that changes, then you can get the local people coming back in and being the local hub, see you down football on Saturday, we'll have a pint afterwards, because you can't do that anymore. Yeah, I agree, and I think that's, I, I think that's in a sense, that's one of the, although there's always been complaints about the yeah. prices going to a match, I think that's one of the major differences uh, in the way that it has changed, in that, to be honest with you, it's ridiculous the amount, that, to get into a category A game in, in the Premier League, I don't know how people afford it, if no, you've got no. a family. Um, and I think part of that is because in a sense, what was always underlying the surfacing football, the, that somebody wanted to make money out of it some way, has actually come to the surface much more now. And that the attitude is, well, we'll charge whatever we can get away with. And if, you know, if people don't turn up, then we'll, we'll, we'll bring the prices down. But it's really that attitude, which is, it's not, and it's not just football, it's in society in general, I think. It's yeah. that attitude, what can we get away with? Yeah. And, and the, the great, everything. yeah, exactly. And the, yeah. I think the, the other, the great irony about it is though that the last thing that um, 
as you said, it's much better to play in front of a, a big stadium, yeah. a packed stadium. It's much better to go and watch. But it's also that's what the TV companies want as well. They don't want to show no. matches in front of an empty stadium, empty stadium or half empty stadium. And I think that's where the clubs are, have really lost sight of what their role is within the community. Well, Arsenal last night. Yeah. I scrounged some tickets to go and watch Arsenal a couple of years back. Um, took my son. And uh, I looked at the price of the ticket, and it was £65. We had four of them, but luckily we got them for nothing. And I thought, so who on earth pays that much money to come watch the... And we got the train, and your petrol, and then your food on top. Yeah. And that must be half of somebody's salary every week to come and watch. But Arsenal now know that they can sell season tickets, and they're virtually all sold out. So when I saw the game last night, it's probably their most important game last night, to beat Wigan. You know, to put them into that position of going to the Champions League, because that's all Arsenal fight for now. But they're played in front of 50,000, and you think, wow, people just don't want to turn up on a cold Tuesday night anymore, where 10, 15 years ago you went to get yourself out of the house. And I think that's where clubs now are saying, well, we'll charge whatever we want because we know people will pay for them. Yeah. I think that think that is the case. I think they are charging whatever they want because I know. A lot is made of wages and a lot is made of managers coming and going and things like that. But there's so much money elsewhere in football that those ticket prices could be dropped. Absolutely. Dropped yeah. mass. Yeah. They could be halved if they had to be. And you could still have Luis Suarez and you could still yeah. have Robin Van Persie yeah. in the Premier League. Yeah, yeah. And the point you made about um, it's what the TV cameras want. Of course, the TV cameras want a full ground. And the football clubs go out of their way to market it on this atmosphere. Liverpool and Manchester United go on about the famous old, the Strefford and the Cop. And it's not there, or it won't be there for much longer because they'll just fill it with people who will go, will pay the money because it's a day out to them. They'll go and pay the money and they'll probably spend the best part of £500 in the club shop as well. So as you said, it's about mm. making money. It's not about, we need to buy Luis Suarez, we need to buy Van Persie, so that ticket needs to be £65. It's we can buy those players and we can charge them this much because we'll get 40,000 people in at that price, yeah. whoever they are. Yeah. You made a point about, you know, the clubs need to go back to, not the roots, but maybe the, the fans, for want of a better word. Is that realistic? Because, as, as Dan's just said then, they, clubs know that they can charge a price and there is someone out there who will pay it. And it, you know... I think it's fair to say that isn't someone within a five-mile radius. Until a club goes bust, I don't think it will change much. But until somebody goes rock bottom and they're liquidated and stops going, I think that will be the wake-up call. And Portsmouth have been you know, floating on that for quite a while. But until that happens, until them fans think, look what's happened to our football club, we don't have anywhere else to go. They're not just going to go around the corner and start supporting another team. It's a marriage football, you know, and you stick with them through bad and, you know, good. And, and you know, if Berry go, they're not all going to turn up at Old Trafford or go and watch Man City because they wouldn't be able to afford to go there. And I think till something like that happens or, you know, Barcelona have got it spot on, the fans own the club. You know, a bloke comes in, what are you going to offer? Well, I'll try and get Ronaldo. Well, you can have four years, you've got four years, and after that, we'll vote somebody else in. But the fans, the majority of the fans, still have so much say in the club, you know, and they charge very little for me to watch quality football. 
but these owners will never give them fans in our country or at certain clubs that power to vote people in and off and you know for the tickets to drop and people aren't gonna when they've had boycotts before you still go yes you've you know you say you're angry and you have banners but them owners know that you're going to come back next week because it beats shopping with your missus on a Saturday but are we at the point Dan um, you know I'm kind of asking you on from your stand experience now are we are we on the cusp of um, you know fans taking a stand or something change about to come into play or at least pushing for that change I think you get a lot of what John was just touching on there which is if you like Manchester City at Arsenal, there's the arguments. Why did they go? And there's always an excuse for someone who's fighting against it. Why did they go? Why not? They're still paying this much. They're still doing that. But it's happening so often now. And they are only small steps towards it. But it's happening so often. It's happening every other week. Not just in the Premier League, at, at smaller grounds around the country. It's happening so often that there is a change. It'll take a while because there's a lot of people to be educated. Like I said before, a lot, myself included, we grew up with modern football. So to take exception with what you've kind of been fed for such a long time is difficult, but there's something happening. It'll take a it'll take a while, and it'll take a lot more people to be educated, because there's plenty, there's thousands more who are very happy with it. There's thousands more who don't go to the game and are happy to watch Sky. Yeah. They don't see that as part of the problem. I think part of the problem is though that football is it's too successful in a lot of ways because when you think about the well, as you just said, people still go anyway. Yeah. And the point is that you've got so much. It's like everybody around the table. You've got so much invested emotionally in your club and in your support for football because of what it means because it's a unique form of entertainment there's no other form of entertainment where you can go and you get the same adrenaline rush I mean imagine like you're a Wigan Athletic supporter on Saturday you've been a supporter club for 20 years where it's the Northern Premier League uh, injury time they win the FA Cup there's it's difficult to think of how you can get a more a better emotional rush than that and, and that's the problem. And so football, it, it grips you because it's such a unique form of entertainment. And also, I think the other problem is that it's so rooted in the community. So clubs don't go bust because there's yeah. always someone who's going to come and rescue them. Yeah. And you've got, or you're going to get supporters to set up or, or whatever. They're, they're so rooted and so important to the local community. It's a community. Yeah, that's it. And so, it's, so even when it's taken, even when clubs are taken over by their most greedy, vicious owners you can imagine who care nothing about football, nothing about the community. People are still going to go. It takes a brave person to say, well, that's it for me until they change. So in a sense, I think because of what it represents, it's, it's a victim of his own success. It's, it's, a, it's a victim of what it means and it's, it's, it's so difficult to change that. But I agree with what Dan was saying. It's taking steps and educating. The pubs used to be the hub of the community. Pubs have closed now, but people are still drinking. And I think that that's what will happen in football, is that once one closes down, it'll hit everyone to think, well, where can you go? And the clubs are thinking, right, we'll need to get some more money back in, and that means getting the fans back in. And it is trying to, I think it won't happen until a club is gone bust. And once that's happened, I think they'll think, right, because an owner won't just keep saying, right, I'll pay for the extra 20,000 that we've lost. But if they cut that in half and got an extra 20,000 and had a full stadium and then 
still do their commercial things. People still pay money to be tagged onto the end of Man City and Liverpool, etc. There are ways around it, but someone needs to make that stand to say, okay, to come to Anfield every week, it's only 20 quid. And they'll think, brilliant, Liverpool are the, the first team to go and do it. And until that happens, mm. it'll just gradually keep going. But because they can, how can you stop them? So you think ticket prices are going to go, keep going up, up and up? Well, I, I don't think they'll keep going up as in an extra fiver every season. It's the season tickets where they bank on that yeah. big chunk of money. And as you know, they've spent that money before it even comes in. Yeah. These clubs, you know, Leeds were the biggest example. Yeah. They took a loan out for four years, hoping that they were going to get 40,000 every week. And they got relegated after this, the third season. They're in League One. And I think that's where the gamble is. Man United is, is probably a great example. The cheapest club in the Premiership probably to watch. But they're globally the biggest. And, you know, Man United fans complain that their tickets are £25. You know, try and be an Arsenal fan at 65 and people say that, well, it's more expensive than in, in London, but you're not getting the same quality football. I just think that somebody's got to say, right, we're going to be the first, we're going to be the leaders, £20 and let's go. And then everyone will have to follow suit because people just think we're getting ripped off. Um, this year with the new TV money would be the perfect opportunity for someone to do that, to say the tickets that the people that are coming in the ground aren't aren't subsidising this club in any way as much as the TV money is or the sponsorship money is. So we're going to do this, maybe just for a few games a season. This set of games will be this much. And as you said, if they do that, then... If Liverpool do that, then Manchester United can be gone. No, what are they doing over there? Chelsea yeah. will be thinking, why are they doing that? Arsenal might think the same. But Forest do that. I think they're having about eight games a year where it'd be kids for a quid. Mm -hmm. yeah. And the parents will pay a tenner but then you get the hardcore fans that pay for the whole season to go, hold on a minute, we're losing out here. Mm. Do I pay £25 and get done for a couple of weeks, but then on a crap night against Carlisle, it's kids for a quid and I can pay a tenner. You work out and you think, well, I'm better off the other way. Yeah. But the season ticket thing, if that's where I think, like they do at Dortmund, say, and Munich, £150 for a season ticket, I'm telling you they'll be gone. They'd all be gone. Yeah, definitely. And then they can say, right, then we can get a loan for four years. Because but isn't the, doesn't the argument then become the person that can't afford the £150 ticket? So if, if you sell 40,000 season tickets at £150, you're still going to have fans who can't afford that and rely on going once or twice a season. So well, doesn't that create a problem in itself? Well, would you rather have pay on the day I mean, everyone pays like they used to do, and you look around and think there's not many in there today because we're not playing Man United or etc. etc. Because what will happen is when Wigan turn up on a Tuesday night, they think, well, I'll actually watch this one on TV. And Sky killed Friday night games because you think, I'm finishing work, I've only got 45 minutes to get there, it's on TV anyway. Yeah. So I think that would be the problem of paying on the day or getting your ticket the day before. Season tickets is what clubs usually base their income and everything around and if you could drop them down you know i'm sure people will be queuing and then it's just one of them unfortunate things at man united that they've got 60,000 70,000 season ticket holders they've got a million pounds million members and then you could sell them season tickets double triple 
and it should be that demand and I don't think there's the demand of tickets anymore. You can basically just get tickets anyhow because people aren't turning up. I think that's a good point that you just made about what what is a fair price, how far would you have to go down? And ev- everyone's not going to be happy, but what would be a start would be asking the fans, which mm-hmm. they've never once been consulted in the, t- the 20 years that I've been watching football, how much they want to pay or how much they think's fair. It's just gone up and up and up. And because they keep paying it, but less people keep paying it. Yeah. There are people dropping off, but at the very top level, where all the money is, if I or one of my friends don't go, someone will come in and take that ticket from from further afield, and they'll pay, they'll spend more. Like I said earlier, they'll spend hundreds of pounds at the club shop. So we're not those fans who I think should be asked about tickets won't be asked because they're given answer that loses the club money in the end. It, in a sense, it's a reflection with other things in society though as well, because I think there's that attitude. Like you look at your gas bill, can you work out how much you're paying gas? There's, there's all these things, and it's basically the attitude is, well, what can we get away with? Yeah. And I think that's, that's it, there's always been a tendency to that in football, because mm-hmm. as I said earlier on, it's always been commercial, it's always been, uh, the money has always played a strong role in the development of football. But over the last, well, really, the, the, the length of time of the Premier League has coincided with quite a big change in British society as well, where you do, you know, you've got privatisation of a lot of things and this idea that, well, we'll charge what we can get away with and, you know, you've got to, it's up to the customer, buyer beware, that type of attitude. And that's come into football in a very strong way and I think it, because it's football, because it means so much to people, I mean, nobody's going to get emotional about a gas bill unless you cut off. But in football, you know, it's about, you know, it's it's almost as important, if not more important, than your day-to-day concerns. So, in a sense, we're also battling... It's a bigger battle there. There's a bigger picture there to take into account. I think, I think so. I don't think every club... Or, or the argument you hear is that not every club can be an AFC Wimbledon. Not every club can be an FC United where they're consulted on every single thing. But like Jono said then, so why are Bayern Munich one of the biggest clubs in the world? Why do they get a say? And what, why did Dortmund get a say? And why are they doing so well? Did they get... It's not going to be some socialist utopia where you turn up and pay what you want and mm. you know stick a five down. I want to go and watch my team because I was born two minutes down the road. That's not going to happen. But to be given, to have your opinion taken into account might be a start by these people who are relying on your custom and relying on something that, that these fans have built over so many years. They've built the football clubs. Yeah. These people have turned up and stuck a load of money into it and taken it on to the next level. But these big clubs wouldn't exist without fans turning up for the past. Years. So is it an obvious question then to ask if fans have lessened in importance to clubs or the, the importance of fans has diminished? Well, is that, is no, that true? The fans haven't because you go to Asia, I watched, um, I think Liverpool played Man United and I was in Asia at the time and it was on at three in the morning and you know Sky's TV ratings were 10 million. And in Asia, it was something like 250 million people watching it over there at three in the morning. So the fan base hasn't diminished. But in terms of the, the actual game-going fan, well, have they been forgotten? Well, they're the not... fans in Asia, the ones that... This, why the money keeps going round and why it's so popular and why Liverpool can go to Sydney and sell out in an hour at 100,000-seater stadium. I think that the clubs have to sit down and think, stuff. OK, then... You've been a fan for us for 40 years. What about if you buy your season ticket for five years, you know, over five years, after five years, the price goes down. And you should be judged on how faithful you are to the club 
and every year the price should go down to a certain limit where the club are quite happy and that will get people coming back because they know that for five years the price will keep going down and it should be a, a, a good level to entice you to think right then I will come for five years because you don't change teams that's your club and you support them and if the club showed a little bit of loyalty to say alright then after five years it comes down £50 a year I'm sure that fan will think well I can spend that 50 quid in the pub or 50 quid in the souvenir shop or buy my son that shirt or basically get it for nothing that's probably 60 quid in a club shop now uh, and get something back for being a loyal fan and I think that's what the clubs now have to show. Otherwise, we're just going to the same thing. If you look at the corporate side, and it'll just be all corporate fans in shirt and ties because they get looked after because of sponsorship and everything else. And that hardcore fans will be priced out from going to football. There's big, big complaints around the FA Cup and ticket allocations. Well, the, the FA Cup final brought a, a few problems in terms of trains, etc., and ticket prices, but like you say, number of tickets given to to corporates or, you know, yeah. not non well, My friend's got season tickets and he, through his company and he doesn't really support a premiership club, but we've gone to games and, you know, his son's a Chelsea fan and when Chelsea played Man United, we were in the Man United end because of where the seats were, because there's no allocation of what end there is. And if fa real fans aren't getting them, you know, because they've brought them England season tickets. So it's, it's dwindling down from 40,000 one end, 40,000 the other end to now, the club's only getting 15,000 because 20,000 around that middle is all corporate. The boxes are all corporate. And then to sit up in this, well, I don't know what it is for a ticket to pay for Wembley. I don't know what it is. Is it 60, 70 pound? I think that they are categorised, aren't they? I think they go up to about 100. From about £100 £55, £60, something like that. Um, but yeah, but you can tell if you go to Wembley and you go to these things, there's there's a gulf and it's not it's not like what Wembley, I, I never went to all Wembley, but what I imagine old Wembley was or what it was like when it was full of two two sets of fans. It's fantastic. It's, it's, um, but the water always, I mean, even going back, there was always complaints about Wembley that a lot of the tickets went, although it wasn't corporate in those yeah. in the 70s, a lot of tickets went to local football associations. So you had you know, well, tens of thousands of Blazers there yeah. who'd take their mates and what have you, uh, and, and genuine fans who'd been going to watch mm -hmm. one of the finalists all season couldn't get tickets because there were so many allocated to the sort of the bureaucrats and the, well, the hangers on there. So it's a kind of, it's, it's not always been the case, it's been 50,000. Know, 50,000 of one team, 50,000 yeah. of another. But I was, when I was at, I think I was at Berry, that every club got, I think, five tickets for the cup final. And because some of our staff would go, they'd say, lads, here's three, put them in a hat, pick your name out, and you get a ticket to Wembley. Because you're part of the FA, I actually do believe, and you've started in the FA Cup, you should get a couple of tickets. And the boys that, in the FA Vars, they still get a couple of tickets, and that you know it's ten thousand. So what? But it's gone from ten thousand to twenty, thirty, and to think that you know the Wembley the other day, and only both teams got twenty-five. Well, what's happened to the other forty? It's it's not enough, and, and I think that it should be like it was before. That you get forty, you get forty. Ten's going to be for the founding members of the Football League. And you don't mind that, 
but at the minute it's too much corporate side. But are the corporates providing the money though? And they're just on a free jolly up. You know, the sponsors, yes, they're paying McDonald's of putting in and, you know, MasterCard and etc. And yes, that's taking football to a next level. But you're talking about the fans who, if Liverpool didn't win every week and, and other teams didn't win every week to get to where they were or, you know, to have full stadiums, uh, they wouldn't be this glamorous FA Cup final and etc. etc. There's, there's got to be a balance. And I think, you know, this year, yes, it was. Uh, David and Goliath and Wigan won. Price to get up on a Saturday morning, thinking right FA Cup final day. They're leaving their hotel. They're leaving their hotel, yeah. Yeah. and they put their suits on. You see them walking around after breakfast. They were so accessible. Now I was thinking I watched Chelsea and Aston Villa first, and then I watched the cup final that was sort of like watch. And then there was another game on, and then three days later Wigan get relegated because they stuck the cup final in between all these because the Champions League finals is more important well but, not to our league it's not yeah but you've also that's happened in the past because remember yeah. when, when Leeds beat Arsenal in I don't know 71 72 I can't remember yeah. so old I can't even remember <laughs> they played Wolves on yeah. the Tuesday or the Wednesday after yeah. for the, basically for the championship they beat Wolves yeah. and it turned out to be a famous game because yeah. allegedly one of the managers offered a bribe to another of the yeah. managers so I'm told anyway um, but that same type of thing, fixture congestion type thing happened then. But I think, again, but there's another issue, which is that the FA Cup has become very devalued. Yes. Because of its nature over the last, the last well, basically since the introduction of the Premier League. But it still could be the last game of the season. So you had that razzmatazz, the season's virtually finished. And that build-up for the FA Cup week used to be every team had a song, awful as they were. But it made the FA Cup special. And now it's just shoved in... The last couple of games of the week, and Wigan have probably they're probably going to get relegated anyway. But they've taken that thing from the fans had to go to Wembley on the Saturday. Mm -hmm. God knows how much they paid last night to watch their team get relegated. But that that weekend must have cost them two hundred and fifty quid easy, easily. Yeah. Easily, it's it's that devaluing of the the entire fan culture, isn't it? Yeah, the, the fact that you're replaceable, you're replaceable by someone else. So if we take that away from you, you're not going to complain. You can't afford to go anyway. Um, someone else will take your place. They'll spend more money. And it's everything. It's um, just just not not listening to the fans of what they wanted. And it's not it's not about going. We need to go back to how it was. We not need to go back. No. Football's always going to football's always going to evolve because it's it reflects society. It's part of society. But can it evolve with those people still in mind? Can it can it change? And can't they even be consulted on how football's going to change? Because, like I said before, they're the ones who've got it to this point and now they're just sort of being abandoned. Fans need you, your voice again. You can't have your FA Cup final on that day anymore. You don't, you don't need it. We've got, we're have got. we going to fill the stadium with other people. Um, their opinion isn't, isn't even taken into account and hopefully that's changing. People have started to speak out. But because it's just because you're a consumer and because you pay your money, you go, you get, you get stuck in a stand and you watch football. And there are better things than how it used to be. There's, there's plenty of better things about yeah. football. You're safer, it's more inclusive things like that but because you've been told that you're that this is how you watch football now that's what you're going to do and that, that that touches on what you said about the FA Cup final nobody I mean people moaned people had a moan on Twitter and that but it was just okay this is what's happening now this is how the this is how football's being run we're funding it but this is you know let's just let's get on with it kind of thing what's the first step to change <clears throat> in terms of action from the fans or in terms of what the FA or 
authorities should do. Or yeah, or the clubs themselves, either way or both ways. I think it's 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 always going to come back to ticket prices as it has done today. It's always going to come back to why can't these people afford to go anymore? The money they're paying isn't reflective of how football's gone. If they pay £65, that's a drop in the ocean compared to what Sky or BT are throwing at these clubs now. Yeah. So why aren't they being... Why aren't they be, being given a treatment which which they've given to to the game? I suppose and it's got to be it's got to be ticket prices first, and that will take that will take, as you said before, something drastic. A club will have to go, or fans will just have to stop going at some point. But at this stage, it, it's about it's about shifting the ratio and making people realise that there is another way. A lot of people are happy with it, but if you continue to educate them and say no, you could afford to go every week if you wanted to, the club's stopping you from going because they can't. I think it's about shifting that ratio into people agreeing with that and saying okay well, well let's do something about it I think this is but I think I agree with what you're saying but I think the, the difference is it, it comes back to this romance versus reality because football has never taken account of the fans no. Ne so. it, n in no way whatsoever uh, before before the Premier League the way that fans were treated in Stadia which led to obviously Hillsborough Bradford City Ibrox before that, Bolton before that. Um, people, fans were just served up with terrible conditions. They were just seen basically as turnstile fodder. Mm. And that, that attitude's changed slightly because now football has learned that it can charge whatever it wants. It's become sexy and fashionable. But I think that the, ultimately it comes down to football is run although it shouldn't be, but football is run as a business like anything else. And that's, that's fundamentally where the, where the problem lies. It's not a good business, though, is it? It's not run like if you had a corner shop, you couldn't run a corner shop out of footballs around their business and constantly be in debt and, and just hoping for a good cup run or somebody comes in and you sell 20 cans of pot, you think, get in there, that'll well, do me to, next week. Well, this is the thing. <laughs> I used to think that, because there's a saying that you'd never run your business in yeah. the same way that you run a football club. Yeah. But look at what's happened over the last four or five years with the well, banks. People run their banks the same way as you'd run a football club. Yeah. And so I've kind of been, maybe I was, I was naive, but yeah. I've kind of been converted away from that idea that people don't, that football is run on a different basis. Yeah. Because now we've, we've seen a lot of what's come to light in the way that businesses are run. Yeah. Outside of football. But you can it's, go to it's a really bank not much different. and say, there's a corner shop, right, can you loan me 20 grand? where football can easily go, right, I need to buy this player, can you lend us the money? They're our bank accounts, but you're not actually making anything. Yeah, but if we qualify for the Champions League or there's four years worth of season tickets, they get the money. But they did it, on, and that's the thing though, they did yeah. it on the same basis as the banks, they've done it on future prospects. Yeah. So we're gonna make you a loan and you're gonna pay us back. But obviously if you're, I don't know, you're a homeowner, you can't pay the mortgage, you're Leeds United, basically you can't pay your mortgage either. And so I think, again, what's, in a sense, what's happened over the last 20 years with the Premier League is that it's brought this out really sharply that football is a business yeah. in the same way as, as any other. And that, of course, it's badly run. And fundamentally, I think there's, there's a problem with that anyway, with running, with the way that business is running, running sport as a business. But ultimately, that's what, it, that's what it is. And that's what it's always been for the last 100, well, since the 1880s, for the last 130 odd years, really. Jono, you talked about you know there's nothing better than playing in front of thirty thousand plus, and as someone who's played top flight and lower league, do you think the importance of fans changes? I, 
listening to you and you know just there I actually probably never realized that when I was playing I got paid every week I wasn't really bothered about anything else it was a job that's that what it was for me I never left school and thought to myself I want to be a professional footballer because at the time there wasn't no Sky TV I left school and I went and played for Man United and it became a job that thing of running around School, scoring 10 goals and giving it yes in your school shoes, all of a sudden it became, well, if you don't do this, you won't become a footballer. And then I thought, quite difficult, this. A bit hard. And then you realise that that bloke there is trying to take your place. And all of a sudden it became a job. And then when I actually started playing, I played in front of 3,000 at Gig Lane, it was, it was like there was 300,000. It was absolutely fantastic. But then I'd leave, get in the car, and just go back to normal life. And then as you get on, you think, self, these fans have turned all the way up to Plymouth on a Tuesday. Might have only been 100 of them, or 200. Wow, we used to go over and, you know, clap them and just, you know, probably have a little chat to a few of them. And then as I got further up that chain and, you know, playing in front of Old Trafford at 70,000, and you turn around, you see a 1,000 fans, you think, wow, they are important to you as a club because when you go and play somewhere, I played against Millwall, and uh, because both fans had a big scrap, so we played in front of 15,000, no away fans. I scored two, we won. And scoring a goal in front of no fans was the worst feeling ever. And I just turned around, walked back to the halfway line, lads didn't cheer, didn't do anything, we finished the game, left the, and we thought, well, how important fans are to football. They had their fans, but we didn't have ours. And I think that's when I really realised how important fans are to that atmosphere to come out. And then when I finished, I realised, thinking, blimey, now they drove all the way down to come and support you through thick and thin, and you played crap. Wow, that's loyalty. And I think the loyalty now, the club have relied on that for a hundred and something years, and they're not showing any back. And I think it's about time they did that. You know, and I don't know how, what system they can do, but that's how it's got to come back to show them fans, listen, you are important. And Alex Ferguson said, you know, 28, seven years without you lot, you know, they wouldn't have been on this. And I'm sure they would have done okay, but he knows they can go anywhere in the world, Liverpool, fans will turn up. One of the hardest things to, um, to, to deal with is, is whether the players appreciate you. So if there's a, there's a guy on 100 or 200 grand a week, you often think when you sat there, does he really care about like me, little old me sat here? I actually think the wages bit is, it's not really relative. The problem is that the wages bit come out and everyone actually knows what players are earning. So when you see footballers and somebody might be earning 200 grand a week and, and you think, well, that 40 pound really isn't paying anything. <laughs> it's not even scratching the surface, but, Players actually understand the fans' importance. When you can go on a pre-season friendly to Melbourne and it sells out like that, mm. training, turn up and there's people outside. You know, players are all signed shirts and, and I think Twitter and certain things has brought fans closer to the players and TV has, but the clubs with the pricing is made them even less important. And I think that's the problem, that the media and social thing is brought them close. You can see your stars every night, of the, you know, every night of the week. But clubs are 
so expensive and about making money, making money so we can compete. The fans are the ones that show their loyalty through thick and thin, again, further and further away down that line. And one day it's not going to be there anymore. I think fans are very forgiven of wages as well. Um, I think if you if you love your love your football club and someone's performing for your football club, a lot of fans aren't looking for role models or no. someone to be mates with. Um, Luis Suarez bites someone and then scores a goal. I, I don't care. I, I really honest, mm. honestly couldn't care less if he if he's biting people on the football pitch. He should be punished for it, and he's horrible. He'll get. <laughs> but. I'm not going to go, oh, he's getting paid X amount of money and he's biting people. Yeah, he's get, and he's scoring goals and he's giving me some of the best evenings of my life. So yeah. I, I will forgive that. Wayne Rooney hands in a transfer request. If he comes out and scores four or five next week, it'll probably be okay. Mm. It'll be okay next season. Um, you want your players to do well because they play for your football club. And it's the relationship with the football club, which is the problem at the minute, I think. I, I think you're right. I, do, I don't think anybody's... If you're performing on the field, I don't think anybody begrudges anybody the wages because, no. as everybody knows, it's only a small minority, a very small minority that are actually getting astronomical wages. And yeah. for, for decades, players were, were exploited every which way they could be by the people who own the clubs. I think one of the interesting things, what, uh, what David just said about social media, one of the interesting things that's happening is with Twitter is that in a sense, that old relationship where people say, oh, in the 50s, you could walk down the street and you'd bump into Jackie Milburn and he'd yeah. you know, give you the time of day. Twitter has enabled something like, it's not the same, but Twitter has enabled something like that to happen. So you can get, you know what your favourite players are saying. Mm. You can engage them in a way that wasn't possible before. So I think yeah. there's something quite interesting going on there that is good for supporters and it's good for players as well because at least they're getting, you know, it keeps them a little bit more grounded. And I think, again, going back to what you're saying about the importance of fans to players, that's, the, that's what clubs are. Clubs are the fans. Yeah. Players come and go, directors come and go, managers come and go. Yeah. But the people that go every week for 40, 50 years and then their sons and daughters go and so on and so forth, it's fans and that's what really ultimately clubs are. And that's the... Uh, and that's what we have to recognise, that without yeah. the fans, there's no game. Yeah, they need a bit of showing loyalty from one side to the And I think that's all it is, because I love modern day football. I love finding out, you know, slow-mo and seeing how players do things. And I think all of that's great, you know, and seeing replays of bat tackles and, you know, 24 hours of the day. But it's them same people that need to be shown a bit of loyalty back because there's not much loyalty in the football at the minute. And I think the people who turn up and have been through different managers and different players and etc. and thought, oh my God, my favorite players just left. Within a year, they've found a new hero. Like you said, they've got memories like goldfishes. They could, you know, they're soon forgotten and the next person turns up, but the fans are being left behind. And I think these new owners are just leaving behind, taking the clubs forward. And I think it's brilliant into this new era but they're getting left behind because they can charge what they like because well, let's just up another 20 and we're getting this in and then all of that we can buy X, Y and Z. But they could do that without actually, you know, upping the price of the tickets. And we're talking about all, all leagues here, aren't we? Not just Premier League, because I'm just conscious that a lot of media attention is on, is on the Premier League, but I think it's, you know, it's, and I guess I'm looking at you as well, Dan, that 
you know, as someone involved in stand, have seen fans of lower league teams complain about the pricing of their tickets as well. So is it a common symptom? Uh, definitely. I think it's just sort of um, a method the clubs use. Uh, it might be, it might cost slightly less, but it's uh, the category method. The fact that they can charge what they like, and we forget that clubs on a lower level have all the same problems. I think that's what we found through stand. We thought it'd be kind of you know we, someone's got to lead the way, someone's got. But clubs on lower levels have owners who won't give them money, who won't respect the fans. They have they get moved around stadiums when they don't want to. They get they get souls ripped out of clubs. And if there's only 300 or if there's 30, 60, 90,000 every week, that's still the same to those core of people who've been paying for years. It's still, there's still a foreign ownership issue yeah. which can cause problems on any level. And there's, there's all those problems which are forgotten about at a lower level, you're right, or they're not given the coverage perhaps. But definitely it's, it's from, the, from, the, um, from the very top to the bottom is, the, is that same sort of disconnect between the very top of the football club and the fans who've always been there. I agree with you, but I think that's always been the case. And I think what's interesting, I think you're doing a great job of standing against modern football, but we had the Football Sports Association in the 1980s who also did a good job campaigning against this. In the 70s, there was Foul Magazine, which also highlighted this. Um, and it's not really something that, unfortunately, it's not something that's changed. It's been a constant. I, you know, if we could travel back in time to 1910, you'd still find Chelsea fans, even in, Chelsea fans complaining about um, the price of the tickets. Yeah. Um, and a lot of a lot of the club, well, Man United is a great example of the way in which the c clubs were formed in those early days, with without any thought for spectators. They were just say, as it, again just seen as um, as turnstile fodder, and a way of um, not necessarily making money directly from a football club, but commercially exploiting it through other sort of backdoor means as well. And I think that's the there's always that danger if you look back you think oh it was much better then I'm not sure that it was the same problems have always been with us and particularly that problem that football fans have never had a voice in the mm -hmm. game they've always been ignored despite the fact that they're the people who make the game it's difficult for it to change I mean I think partly because I think it's connected with society what's going on in society but I think the way that it the way that you can have some influence is by having strong supporters organisations campaigning organisations that can raise the profile of supports concerns and can put pressure on the clubs um, because you know we have to acknowledge that fans need a voice. fans fans need a voice but they're also emotionally you know it's yeah. your it's your club and that's yeah. the reality it is your club and that's why you need a voice and it's but that's difficult because traditional things that you do in campaign striking boycotting stuff like that nobody really wants to do for their club because yeah. You're no longer a supporter, so it is a really, it's a really difficult thing. But strong campaigning organisations, well, in my view, anyway, the, the way to go. Germany's been mentioned, and um, you know, there's, there are people who, are, you know, think Germany's a great model. But then again, they'll say fans, be, you know, watch the games behind fences and that type of thing. So, can we learn from it? Is it, you know, what? Yeah, why is it a problem in the UK? I, well, I, I, I'm not convinced that the German model is really an alternative. Yeah, the, in terms of the ticket prices, it is a lower. But other sports yeah. have, uh, other countries have different business models. Yeah. But the German game still makes a lot of money. It's still dependent on satellite TV money. It's still, despite the fact that clubs are generally membership clubs, 
the people who run them aren't ordinary fans. They're multi-millionaire businessmen. Yeah. The same type of people who run them in this country. And it's same, well, same in Spain as well. I mean, people talk yeah. about Barca. And, you know, obviously it's a fantastic, yeah, fantastic football club. Uh, it's a membership club, but so is Real Madrid. Uh, and Real Madrid is, you know, it's hugely in debt. Yeah. Um, you know, they basically don't care what they spend because they're subsidised by the, by the Madrid local authority. Yeah. So the same problem, so I, I, I don't know, I mean, maybe the other guys disagree with me, but I don't think they're, they're really an alternative model. I, I just think we could take the best out of the German model, Spanish model and other, and just look at different models and okay, if we add that to ours and a little bit of this and all in all, it'd be all round better. You can't tell me the Premier League model is better than anyone else's and because our prices keep coming up and, and we should be thinking, well, why can Borussia Dortmund charge £150 for a season ticket and we can't? Yeah, I think that, I think that it's the case that Germany's been held up as this sort of golden goose of this is how we should do it. Let's, let's write a blog about it and let's buy, yeah. a, let's buy a German football shirt and go twice a year to watch Dortmund or whatever it is. But it is one model. It is one model yeah. which works in a different way than the British one. It works in a different way than the Spanish one. But if you run any other business, you wouldn't just look at one other model. No. You wouldn't look at another business model and say, okay, that's working. That's given the best for our customers, so let's use that. You'd do what Jono was saying there and you'd go, go through a variety of things and try and make your own. Try and make what everyone keeps telling me is the best league in the world, the best league in the world for more people. Correct me if I'm wrong, but before you said that one way to affect this ticket price change is player wages. I don't think the, pl the wages... Are is that just a separate issue? The wages are coming through the sky money and, and I think all that type of money. The fans, when I used to play, Johnson, you lazy git, I'm paying your wages. And I used to run off thinking, only a little much. <laughs> <laughs> and, but now, I couldn't imagine a fan going, Rooney! I'm paying your salary because they're not the fans are not paying for the salaries anymore they're basically just putting money into a football club because the salary is coming from commercial and other things the fans 77,000 aren't paying 40 million pound or 20 million pound salary at Old Trafford and they're definitely not paying that at Liverpool's and Chelsea's that only get 40,000 but the most important thing is stays the fans yeah you know and i'm a fan now and luckily i go to games and if i think i paid 22 pounds to watch forest the other week and i just thought i looked around i think so how does everyone can afford to do this my son gets a free ticket because he plays there but i look at people like people watching thinking, how can he afford to spend 100 pound and have pies and everything what do they do for a job because 30,000 people turned up and they all pay to come and I just find it mind-boggling that they're willing to do that week in and week out to support a club and they love the players. And I never really felt that when I played. I just was in an arena, you know, lording up, sending 30,000 people home happy because I scored the winner. Now I sit there and then listen to people when your team's lost. He's crap. He needs selling. <laughs> and then the second thing is, he's on 30 grand a week and it's the thing that comes out and and now I sit with fans and I understand their pain but they you know they've got the shortest memories because next week they'll give that plays 100% and 
but the clubs don't give the fans back that. And I think that's probably, you know, the biggest cry and shame at the minute. Well, I'm conscious we're in danger of going on longer than the uh, Hollyoaks omnibus, so we'll, <laughs> we'll call it full time there. But thank you to Daniel, Tony and uh, Jono, formerly of Chelsea FC, <laughs> for their time and thoughts. And thank you for listening. As always, if you have any feedback or suggestions, feel free to tweet at Umbro using the hashtag The Home Room.